Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. I actually haven't recorded an episode in a few weeks um, just because of life and being really busy and all sorts of other little bits and bobs going on. So it feels like ages since I've recorded a podcast. And even though I record these podcasts in advance and usually when I record one, it's a number of weeks until they actually get um published on the platform, it does feel like there is still this connection between me and you, the listener. And it just it just feels like we haven't spoken in a few weeks. So um, hello, how are you? I hope you are doing well in your chronic illness recovery journey, whatever that is looking like for you at the moment. And just to say I've missed you. I've missed being here and talking to you. So in today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about the triad of low energy fatigue, low mood, for example, depression, and chronic pain, chronic pain syndromes like fibromyalgia or chronic migraine, headaches, neuropathic pain, or perhaps pain linked to autoimmunity, for example, lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or things like that. And um, I've been working actually with a lot of clients recently with this triad. And so it just feels like a really good time to bring it up and to talk about it on the show. And so where I'll begin is just by saying that these three things, low mood, low energy, and chronic pain, they do tend to go hand in hand. Pretty much all of my clients who have chronic fatigue, a lot of them have some sort of pain, some more than others. Some of them, not all of them, are also experiencing some sort of mood disorders, for example, depression or anxiety. So it's very common that I see you know, a collection of these symptoms when I'm working with clients. But recently, I think, you know, the universe brings you certain things at certain times. And I think recently the universe has been bringing me clients who are very, very much in this sort of collection or cluster of um, experiences. So where I'll begin by talking about this is just to say that the common thread that links all of these things together is energy. So in order for us to overcome a mood disorder, in order for us to overcome chronic pain, we have to restore the energy in the body. Essentially, we have to restore the body's ability to make energy in the form of ATP. And so to a certain extent, that is what this entire podcast is really dedicated towards, is all the different mechanisms by which ATP production can be compromised and then obviously what we can do to address them you know from the bottom up whether that is stabilizing blood sugar making sure that we are supporting the nervous system making sure digestive health is good getting out of the cell danger response making sure that we have um, appropriate oxygenation of the body there's no underlying anemia making sure we're managing inflammation making sure that we're resting and taking antioxidants and you know all of these different things that can all contribute to low energy. This whole podcast is dedicated towards that. So I won't really talk about generating more energy specifically today because that can be potentially very complex and that's why there's individual episodes dedicated to each of these different mechanisms. 
But it's also important here to understand that when energy production is poor, when there is impaired mitochondrial function, we can see that there's an increase in oxidative stress and there can also be an increase in oxidative stress due to being stuck in a cell danger response. And that can lead to neuroinflammation. That's one of the mechanisms by which we can experience neuroinflammation. And again, I did a whole episode on neuroinflammation. But also this oxidative stress and neuroinflammation can impact our ability to synthesize neurotransmitters and therefore our ability to perhaps regulate our mood. And essentially an inflamed and unhealthy brain can also be more sensitive to the perception of pain, which is what I'll spend a little bit more time today talking about. And an inflamed and unhealthy brain may also struggle to dampen the signals of pain. And heightened sensitivity with poor pain control will lead to chronic pain and chronic pain syndromes like fibromyalgia, for example. So in previous episodes, I've touched on so many different mechanisms which relate to energy production. I've done an episode specifically on neuroinflammation. You can go back and listen to that. I've done an episode specifically on neurotransmitters so you can go back and listen to that. So what I really would like to focus on today is more so the understanding of the neurophysiology and the pathophysiology of pain but under this framework that the pain experience, the mood disorders and the fatigue experience are all connected and it's not like we have to do one thing for our energy and then one thing for our mood and then something different to manage pain. I say to my clients like when we're working together like we're working on all the imbalances in their unique system and as we address all the imbalances in their unique system we're raising all the ships and therefore you know we see improvements across the board. We see improvements in energy, we see improvements in mood, and we see improvements in pain as well. But for the purposes of today, I'm going to hone in on and talk a little bit about pain, starting with just understanding how pain works in the body. And maybe a nice place to start is to understand that pain is actually an emotional experience. And therefore, it can be quite subjective and difficult to quantify. And maybe you've already attended one of my workshops. I run a workshop from time to time called the Getting to Know Your Nervous System Workshop. And a lot of that workshop, we're working with the sensations of the body. And I'll invite and ask people on the workshop, and obviously I do this with my clients as well, to notice the sensations that are present in the body. And often people will say, I feel pain. And I often have to offer a little bit of education around the fact that, well, pain actually isn't a sensation. Pain is an emotion. And so if we're looking for the sensations of pain, we might be looking for a searing pain or a burning pain or a stabbing pain. But the actual word pain is more of an emotional quality. So I thought I would just share that for your interest. And what I'm planning to do is a little follow-up episode to this episode where I'll talk a little bit more about the nervous system and somatic tools that you can use if pain is something that you're experiencing. But I digress. So in terms of how we actually perceive 
perceive pain in the body. We have something which is called a nociceptor. And obviously we don't just have one of them. We have many of them found throughout the body, in our skin, in our muscles, in our joints, in our internal organs. And these nociceptors play an important role in the body's ability to sense and respond to potentially harmful stimuli. So for example, if there's too much heat, if there's too much cold, if there's too much pressure or even chemical irritants. And a nociceptor will get activated by a stimulus, heat, cold, pressure, chemical irritants. And then it sends a signal to the brain. And it's in the brain that we interpret that signal as pain or discomfort or, you know, if it's a different type of stimulus, maybe even pleasurable, maybe even comfortable. So all pain is perceived in the brain. And this means that if you are experiencing pain, then regions of your brain are firing. And this is creating the pain experience. But in terms of how we get those different regions in the brain to fire, there's sort of three different stages that need to happen or three different sets of neurons which are involved. So we have our first order neurons. And so obviously when we're talking about neurons, we're talking about the nervous system. And our first order neurons connect our nociceptors to the spinal cord. So the first order neurons involve the peripheral nervous system. And this is going to be quite important when we talk about sensitization or when I talk about sensitization in a moment. So we've got first order neurons. They connect these nociceptors to the spinal cord. That involves the peripheral nervous system. Then we've got second order neurons that connect the spinal cord up to the brain. So that's helping the signals, whatever they are, to travel from the spinal column up towards the brain. So that's our central nervous system because it's the brain and spinal column. And then finally, we have our third order neurons, which connect to different regions of the brain. So once the signal or the stimulus has traveled up the spinal cord to the brain, there may be communication within the brain, different regions of the brain get turned on or stimulated. And that is where we sort of interpret the, the pain response. So chronic pain happens when we have chronic activation of these pathways. And that could be chronic activation of the peripheral nervous system, those first order neurons, or chronic activation of the second and third order neurons, which involves the central nervous system, which would be central sensitization. Here, it's also really important to understand that chronic pain also happens when we have lack of inhibition. So even though we can send um, signals up to the brain and we can turn on pain pathways, the brain is also really important for turning pain pathways off. So here, if we have a brain that doesn't have enough energy, if we have a brain that is inflamed, then we're going to have an inability or a poor ability to turn off pain signals. And that over time perpetuates the cycle of chronic pain. So the next thing I'd like to go into, and also just to say here that I appreciate this is quite technical. I'm trying to simplify it as much as possible, but um, there's a little bit of technical understanding that I want you to have. And then we'll talk a little bit more about practicalities and what you can do to support yourself. 
So the next piece that I want you to understand is we'll go into a little bit more detail about the concepts of peripheral sensitization and central sensitization. And here, the main thing that I want you to know is that sensitization is one of the underlying mechanisms in chronic pain and chronic pain syndromes. And that could be peripheral sensitization or central sensitization. So if we have constant peripheral sensitization, constant peripheral sensitization over time leads to central sensitization. Because remember, we're using our first order neurons of the peripheral nervous system to send information to the spinal column. So if those peripheral neurons are sending information to the spinal column, constantly sending inflammation to the spinal column, over time then the central spinal column and brain are going to be stuck in a loop of constant stimulation and sensitization. And then these two become completely entangled and create a vicious cycle where the central nervous system is interpreting pain, that sending signals to the peripheral nervous system. The peripheral nervous system is really sensitive, so it's sending more signals back up to the central nervous system, and so on and so on. And this is essentially what is involved in chronic pain conditions such as osteoarthritis, neuropathic pain, migraine, chronic headaches, and conditions like fibromyalgia. So peripheral sensitization refers to an increased sensitivity of the pain receptors, the nociceptors, in the peripheral nervous system. And that can be due to tissue damage or inflammation. And we'll talk about different factors which contribute to that. And this can lead to an exaggerated or a prolonged pain response to stimulus that would sometimes not even be perceived as painful or may only be mildly painful. So as we become more sensitive due to the imbalances and sensitization in the system, we now start to turn on pain signals much more quickly and then the system becomes overstimulated and it's really difficult to turn off. So during peripheral sensitization, the threshold of activation of the pain receptors is lowered, which essentially means we need less stimulus to perceive the same amount of pain. And the result is we get more pain signals which are being sent to the central nervous system, and that creates this vicious cycle of pain perception and pain sensitivity. Then if we look at central sensitization specifically, this is occurring in the central nervous system, so brain and spinal column, and that's when the central nervous system becomes more sensitive to pain signals and there is increased pain perception and pain sensitivity. This occurs when there's an amplification of pain signals in the central nervous system and due to the changing structure and function of the neurons which are involved in processing pain. So if there are ongoing imbalances in the body, ongoing inflammation in the body, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, this changes the structure and function of the neurons. Because the structure and function of the neurons have changed, then the processing of pain changes, and then these neurons sit closer to threshold, which means we only need very, very small stimuli to push us over the edge, and then we get this heightened pain processing, heightened pain sensitization. 
the consequence of this peripheral and central sensitization is that pain persists over time. Sometimes even once the original tissue damage, the original inflammatory event, even when that's passed, the body can still be stuck in a loop of experiencing pain. And so in terms of how we manage and overcome chronic pain, we have to think about what we need to do for our unique bodies to turn off this vicious cycle or to untangle this vicious cycle where the body is stuck in a loop and it hasn't been able to do it for itself. And spoiler alert here, I think that a, a really big part of this is the lowering of the sympathetic tone of the body. I'm going to touch on that briefly in a moment and I'll do a separate episode where I give some tools that you can use to support yourself somatically if you are in chronic pain. But I think a huge part of getting out of this chronic pain loop is getting out of sympathetic dominance, vital flight in the nervous system because once we experience pain then we also experience a heightened sympathetic nervous system response so the pain creates an increased sympathetic nervous system response and then the sympathetic nervous system response heightens the pain and then we go around and around in circles so supporting your nervous system for some people that's all they actually need to do to get out of chronic pain for other people they may need to do other things and those are things that I'll talk about more in a moment but before I do that I just want to talk about the concept of descending inhibitory pathways that probably sounds like a mouthful but descending so we're looking from the top down from brain to body inhibitory so inhibiting the pain signals so these pain inhibitory pathways are neural circuits in the central nervous system, so brain and spinal column, that modulate the transmission of pain signals and help to regulate pain perception. So these are ways that we, or these are neural pathways by which we control, manage, or inhibit pain perception. And these pathways can block pain signals and they can provide pain relief, so essentially natural pain relief. And one of the main pathways by which we inhibit pain is through the brainstem which sends signals down to the spinal cord and the brainstem releases neurotransmitters like serotonin, norepinephrine, opioids, which I'll talk about a little bit more. And these act on receptors in the spinal cord to reduce the transmission of pain signals. So this is where we've got a little bit of an overlap with neurotransmitters because if serotonin production is poor, if the body is struggling to produce natural opioids or um, GABA for example then that's going to have an impact on the ability to manage pain through these descending inhibitory pathways. So we know that a healthy brain will be much more likely to produce healthy amounts of neurotransmitters. We know that a healthy digestive system will also be much more likely to produce healthy amounts of neurotransmitters. The majority of our serotonin, for example, is made in the gut. So this is where there's a bit of an overlap from some of the episodes I've done, the episode on neuroinflammation, the episode on neurotransmitters specifically, where we want to start to consider the health of the brain 
and healthy neurotransmitter production is important in inhibiting pain. Therefore, we need to make sure the brain is healthy. We need to make sure that we're producing adequate amounts of neurotransmitters to modulate pain signals. And this is why low energy, low mood and pain go hand in hand. So any type of brain dysfunction can mean that there's poor inhibition of these pain pathways and a healthier brain will equate to healthier pain management responses. So now I want to talk a little bit about something which is um, pain sensitization amplifiers. And so these are things that can amplify pain signals in the body. So for example, if you were to break your leg, but you also were experiencing inflammation because you had a mold colonization and you were making a lot of mold mycotoxins. As a consequence of that, that was activating um, some mast cell activation in your body. You were have experiencing a lot of histamine production, histamine intolerance and mast cell activation. And you were eating a diet which was very low in essential fatty acids, which helped to modulate inflammation in the body. And your gut was just a mess. And there was, you had leaky gut and food sensitivities. And there's a lot of toxins spilling over from your gut into your bloodstream. All of these things that I've described are going to heighten the perception of pain, which means that you know, one person can break their leg, another person can break their leg, but the experience of pain in those two people could be very different because of what's going on physiologically in the body. Some One person may have fantastic health, no amplifiers, no imbalances that would amplify pain signals, and another person may have several. So when we're looking at this low energy, mood disorders, chronic pain triad, one of the things I'm evaluating in my clients would be, okay, well, what are the things that are impacting their ability to make energy, ATP, but then what are the, what is the, what is impacting the health of their brain, what's potentially impacting their neurotransmitter production, and then finally, what are the things that could be amplifying these pain signals and making them worse, and how do we address those? So I've got a little list here of things that can amplify pain signals and what I'll do is just kind of talk through the list and then I'll talk through each one individually. So the first is inflammation. If there's more inflammation in the body we can get an amplification of pain signals. The second one is prostaglandin and leukotriene imbalances, which relate to our essential fatty acid balance in the body and imbalances can mean an amplification of pain signals. The third is histamines. I've done a previous podcast on histamines, so you can listen to that for more details. Then free radicals and oxidative stress, which go hand in hand. Adipokines, which are inflammatory molecules produced from excess body fat, microbiome imbalances, neuroinflammation, and um, a peptide known as substance P, which is produced when there is neuroinflammation, hypoxia, poor oxygenation, lack of blood flow to tissues, insulin surges, so blood sugar imbalances, stress hormones, and catecholamines, if you're talking sort of more nervous system language, high sympathetic tone, and then something known as ages, advanced glycation in products. So for every single person I see who's got 
chronic pain, I'm considering always their nervous system and what's going on there. You know, it's very seldom, I would say, probably never that I meet a client who doesn't need nervous system support. So that's kind of always on the radar. But I'm then evaluating and I'm saying, okay, what's going on inflammation wise for this person? What's going on histamine wise? How are the free radicals and oxidative stress? Are they overweight? Is um, Could there be deeper kinds which are implicated here? What's their microbiome doing? What is the extent of their neuroinflammation? Because I'm going to assume that everybody has a little bit and um, how is their oxygenation how's their blood sugar how is their how are their stress hormones and, and how is their diet and how is that then impacting the ages and the prostaglandins and leukotrienes so let's talk about this now in a little bit more detail so you can start to do a self-evaluation and so here the first one being inflammation so to relieve chronic pain we want to identify sources of inflammation in the body and that's also something we want to do to help someone have more energy because we know if somebody is in a cell danger response if the body is under threat whether that is an external or internal threat the mitochondria the energy producing factories are going to switch their role from energy producing to defense and as a consequence of that we'll naturally experience more inflammation so we want to remove the inflammatory triggers whether that is um, you know a physical trauma you know if someone's got a sore shoulder and they're continuously using that shoulder in a way that perpetuates the local inflammation that's an issue but there may also be emotional trauma we need to deal with or dietary proteins so food sensitivities creating inflammation in the body, toxins creating inflammation in the body that could be heavy metals, chemicals, mold mycotoxins, and then infections. So if the immune system is still trying to fight off a bacteria, parasite, mold, yeast, or a virus, that is keeping the body in an inflammatory state. So for me, I like to look at a full blood count just to kind of get an overview of what the immune system is doing. We could also look for elevated ferritin, elevated C-reactive protein, elevated urethrocyte sedimentation rate, abbreviated ESR. All of those are what we call acute phase reactants. So any of those elevated in the blood work suggests that there's a lot of cytokine activity, there's a lot of active inflammation, and inflammation should be on our radar not just taking some curcumin or some fish oil to get rid of the inflammation but getting to the bottom of where is this inflammation coming from so then the next one was the prostaglandins and the leukotrienes and these are types of echinosoids which are signaling molecules in the body that we create from fatty acids arachidonic acids specifically and they have a beneficial role in the body but they can also have an inflammatory role in the body. So prostaglandins can regulate blood flow, they can regulate blood clotting, and they can also function in the digestive tract, but they may also be pro-inflammatory and promote inflammation and sensitize pain receptors. Leukotrienes, on the other hand, are mainly produced by immune cells and are involved in promoting inflammation and immune responses. So both prostaglandins and leukotrienes are important mediators of inflammation and pain. And they are driven or imbalances of these molecules are driven by our diet, essentially the fatty acids we are consuming in our diet. 
So if somebody is consuming a lot of red meat, a lot of dairy, a lot of processed food, a lot of processed seed oils, and they're not eating enough oily fish, nuts and seeds, olive oil, avocado, those monounsaturated and omega-3 fatty acids, that can upset the balance of prostaglandins and leukotrienes, and that can amplify pain signals. So a little clue if you have a prostaglandin imbalance or not is if aspirin helps your pain response, then it's likely that you have a prostaglandin imbalance. And if you wanted to get a little bit geeky and dig a bit deeper, you can do something known as a red cell fatty acid test. There are various companies that offer them. I usually use the one from Genova Diagnostic, um, and that can give you specific information about what fatty acids you are lacking in your diet. A little note here is what I often see, not with all clients, but many of my clients are quite aware of the benefits of omega-3 fatty acids. Many of them are already supplementing with omega-3 fatty acids. And sometimes I actually see when I run these tests that people need more omega-6 fatty acids, but the good kind. So I'm a big fan of evening primrose oil, GLA, borage oil. Those are nice sources of omega-6 fatty acids. But the best thing to do if you have any doubt is just to test because then you know where you're at. You know if you need more omega-3 or more omega-6 and then you can work on balancing that out. So the next amplifier I wanted to touch on is histamine. Histamine can cause hyperalgesia, which means that it changes pain perception, likely due to activating the microglial cells in the brain, which are involved in your inflammation as well. So high levels of histamine can be associated with pain. But also if you have seasonal allergies, food allergies, if you have cognitive dysfunction, if you have brain fog, sensitivity to light and sound or intolerance to chemicals and smells, these can be little clues that there may be some histamine stuff going on. And I've done a whole podcast on histamine, so I think it's worthwhile listening to that because it will go into so much more depth that I can go to in this episode today. But little clues might be if you see your eosinophils elevated in a blood test, if you have high blood histamine, if your doctor has tested that for you, if you have any elevated IgE responses. Parasites can also activate the IgE response, so parasites can often be underlying when somebody has um, histamine intolerance or mast cell activation syndrome and digestive imbalances as well. So to get pain under control, if it's being amplified by histamine, we need to get histamine under control. And that might mean addressing the root cause, like what is keeping someone in the cycle of producing large amounts of histamine. And you can listen to my previous episode on that. So the next one is free radicals and oxidative stress. And a clue that this could be amplifying pain is that you get more pain when you exercise. And I know even throughout my whole recovery journey, and it's still kind of there now, I get this little pain in my left shoulder. And whenever I would overexert myself, that pain would increase. 
And I know just based on all the testing I've done and all the work I've done on myself that I need to keep on top of, on top of my antioxidants. And therefore, like every time I would exercise, I would get this little increase in pain just in my left shoulder. So for me, I know that in order to be well, I need to stay on top of antioxidants. But that was always the clue that it would amplify with exertion. That was very specific to my shoulder for me, but um, it can be your whole body. You may hurt all over. You may really struggle to recover after exercise. You may lose function. You may experience debilitating post-exertional malaise. Those are all clues that you need more antioxidants and that you need to also reduce the oxidative stress in your body as a whole. And that might be, you know, you're doing too much, you need to pace better. It could be oxidative stress coming from chemicals like cleaning products in your home or pesticides or mold or processed food or air pollution or exhaust fumes or radiation. So there's lots of different sources of oxidative stress or um, exposure to things which would increase oxidative stress. We want to minimize as much as possible within our control. If you're doing any testing, the HOHDG and lipid peroxides in something like a metabolomics organic acids test, if either of those are elevated, that can suggest a need for more antioxidants. And that could be something that helps in terms of pain amplification. And then the next thing is hypoxia. So hypoxia is when there's not enough oxygen getting to our tissues. And I know with a lot of people who've experienced long COVID, there are some issues with circulation and microvascular circulation. So working on that vascular system is really important. But more obviously, things like anemia, if there's um, any type of anemia that needs to be addressed to support oxygenation. Sleep apnea is another one. So if you're waking up with a dry mouth, if you have bad breath, if you're a mouth breather, all of those things can be little clues that oxygenation may be off. Low blood pressure or high blood pressure. If you're testing your blood pressure, you need to test your blood pressure having sat and rested for five minutes. And that's not sitting down scrolling at your phone. That's proper rest for five minutes and then test your blood pressure. And the ideal is 120 over 80. Also just not moving enough. So very often when people experience pain, they don't want to move because they perhaps if they need antioxidants, the pain can, the movement can make the pain worse. So now we've got this, well, I'm not moving to help my body, but because I'm not moving, I'm not getting good blood flow and oxygenation of tissues. So one of the things that's really important to know that in order to overcome these low mood, low energy, chronic pain syndromes, we have to move, but we have to find a way to move, which is the sort of Goldilocks dose for our body not too much that we're overstimulating and stressing the body, not too little that we're not getting enough of a stimulus to adapt and you know re-establish our healthy mitochondria. So movement is so important for many, many reasons, but for oxygenation and blood flow being one of them. So a simple test that you can do is you can buy off Amazon maybe like 15 or 20 pounds. You can get a pulse oximeter or oximeter. Some of the smartwatches these days have a pulse ox built into it and so you could possibly use one of those and if your pulse ox is 94 or less 
that can suggest you're having a problem oxygenating your tissues. So then you need to kind of work out why that's happening. Do you need to support blood flow? And do you need to support your breathing? Do you need to support anemia? Do you need to support your blood pressure? What are the things going on so that you can establish a top-notch um, pulse ox? Then moving on, we've just got a few more. Um, the next one is insulin surges. So if you've been listening to me or following me anytime, you'll know I'm very passionate about blood sugar balance. And there are so many reasons why we want to achieve optimal blood sugar. But one of the reasons is that if we're having any metabolic dysfunction, which is then associated with insulin surges after a meal, that's something that can amplify pain. So if your fasting insulin is elevated, I appreciate in this country, doctors don't often test fasting insulin, so you might not know. But if you have elevated triglycerides, which I would say is above 1.7 millimole, or your triglyceride to HDL ratio is greater than three, then insulin could be a concern for you. But I would highly also recommend, I think everybody should do this at least once, is to do some self-blood glucose monitoring, either with a CGM or a finger prick device. I've got a whole episode on that. I've got a whole blog on that and how to do it. But I think doing that at least once to check that your blood glucose is in balance is worthwhile because if this is out of balance, it's something you really want to address to help with pain, mood, and energy. And I'll move on now to talk about advanced glycation end products. These are known as ages. And so ages are a group of molecules that form when protein or fats are exposed to glucose over a long period of time. Another reason why we want to make sure we're managing our blood sugar. And so this process is called glycation. And it occurs naturally in the body as we age. It happens to everyone, but it is accelerated by a diet high in sugar, high in oxidative stress, and high in inflammation. So if you've got issues with oxidative stress, if you've got issues with inflammation, if you're not managing your blood sugar, you'll be producing a lot more of these ages. And then ages accumulate in tissues of the body and they can lead to the amplification of pain. They stimulate the production of inflammatory molecules, they promote more oxidative stress and they eventually lead to tissue damage as well. So we can reduce ages in the body, obviously by managing inflammation, managing sugar levels and managing oxidative stress, but we also want to avoid processed foods. So another reason just to eat a really clean, healthy, whole foods diet with a good balance of um, different nutrients. There can also be certain cooking methods which encourage the production of these ages. So for example, grilling and frying increases AGE production. Um, gentler methods like steaming, boiling, poaching, they can be much more favorable in terms of cooking. One of the things you can do because, you know, everybody loves a barbecue, everybody wants a little fry up from time to time, is if you consume antioxidants alongside, you know, your grilled barbecued steak or whatever it is, that can help to offset some of the damage with ages. So like have a nice salad alongside your barbecued burgers or whatever it is you may be having. 
So moving on now to catecholamines. Catecholamines refer to our stress hormones, so adrenaline and noradrenaline. And both of these have a modulating effect on the nervous system. So this is where nervous system work comes in, although I'll talk about nervous system a bit more in another episode. Um, but the modulating effect that these catecholamines have on the nervous system can amplify pain or potentially relieve it as well. So in the short term, catecholamines can actually be beneficial. They can help to dampen down pain signals. So for example, if you're someone with a healthy nervous system response and you have a short-term elevation in your stress hormones, that can actually help to dampen down pain. If I go swimming in the cold water in the sea and that increases my catecholamines in the short term, I always feel amazing. Like if I had that short shoulder pain that I described to you earlier and I was to go swimming in the sea for about maybe about an hour or two after that swim I wouldn't feel any of that shoulder pain and it would eventually come back but that would be because of the short-term surge in my catecholamines. However if we live in chronic stress when we're constantly in fight or flight we're constantly operating outside of our window of tolerance we're constantly producing large amounts of adrenaline and noradrenaline and all these other hormones then we can amplify pain and that's when we get stuck in this chronic pain syndrome or chronic pain conditions so then the experience of chronic pain is then further increased by the sympathetic tone of the body so we have the chronic pain then we get more sympathetic activation because of the chronic pain and we get more pain and so on and so on so part of the solution here is reducing sympathetic tone working on vagal tone and obviously supporting the brain because a healthy brain is able to suppress sympathetic activation. But if the brain is unhealthy because it's inflamed, then it cannot suppress sympathetic activation. And then that can lead to all sorts of other sensitivities as well, like light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, and other symptoms as well. So this is where the nervous system comes in. And as I said already, I think everybody needs to be supporting their nervous system in some way, shape, or form, but especially people with chronic pain. The next pain amplifier is substance P and neuroinflammation. Substance P is a neuropeptide so it essentially functions as a neurotransmitter and a neuromodulator within the nervous system and it's widely distributed throughout the central and the peripheral nervous system. And substance P acts as a pro-inflammatory neuropeptide that sensitizes pain sensing neurons and enhances the transmission of pain signals to the brain and it's released in response to tissue damage and inflammation and any sort of noxious stimuli. In addition to its role in pain perception, substance P is also involved in physiological processes like inflammation, neurogenesis and mood regulation. And it's been implicated in many different conditions. So for example, migraine headaches, chronic pain, depression and anxiety disorders. So there's that pain and mood overlapping again. But neuroinflammation can increase the expression of substance P. And this is why we need to have a healthy brain to overcome these low mood and pain syndromes. So therefore, part of modulating pain is going to be managing neuroinflammation so that we can manage the expression of substance P. So we've just got a couple more here. 
The final two are cortisol and microbiome imbalances. And cortisol is one of our stress hormones, and it is an anti-inflammatory hormone. So in the right amounts, it can be very beneficial for managing inflammation in the body. But if somebody has a blunted cortisol response, they're not able to produce enough cortisol, they may not be able to dampen and complete inflammatory responses associated with pain. The other thing worth noting is that people with low cortisol may experience difficulty regulating their blood sugar. They may be prone to low blood sugar or hypoglycemia. So low blood sugar puts strain on the adrenal glands because when blood sugar drops low, the adrenal glands should be producing cortisol to help to bring more sugar into circulation to maintain healthy levels of blood sugar. But if adrenal output is blunted, if cortisol production is low, the body can't do that. And then it creates more activation of the nervous system because the body can go into a state of distress when it's not able to stabilize its blood sugar with ease. So stabilizing blood sugar and supporting the nervous system are going to be really, really important for somebody who has low cortisol and chronic pain. In terms of testing for this, I think if you're somebody who knows your blood sugar is constantly going low and you're struggling to regulate it, you could assume that low cortisol is an issue, or you could also look into a saliva cortisol test. And then last but not least is intestinal permeability, often referred to colloquially as leaky gut. And this is when there is an abnormal permeability to the intestinal lining. Essentially, the lining of the gut is leaky so that things can leak from the intestines into the bloodstream. And that could be things like toxins, bacteria, sometimes food particles and other harmful substances. And once these particles, bacteria, toxins, etc., leach through into the bloodstream, that can trigger an immune response, which then triggers inflammation. And, and that can be a factor in chronic pain. So when I talked about inflammation as one of the amplifiers, this could be one of the root causes of that inflammation. Big one is the overgrowth of gram-negative bacteria in the gut, which produce an endotoxin known as LPS, lipopolysaccharide and LPS can pass through the membrane. It can cause systemic inflammation in the body and that can perpetuate pain conditions. So when we're thinking about intestinal permeability, this is where stool testing can be really helpful. I would say stool testing is probably at the moment the number one test I'm running with clients and I'm seeing really great results just working with stool testing with clients. Um, so whether they have chronic pain or fatigue or mood disorders, whatever they have going on, um, there seems to be a lot, of, a lot of improvement by addressing what's going on with the gut. So it's always a good place to start if you don't know where to start. So those are all our amplifiers. I appreciate that this episode is quite long. It's also a little bit technical, which means you may need to listen to it in a few small doses. 
But basically, as I kind of wrap up here, just to summarize, is when we're looking at this overlapping etiology of low mood, low energy, and pain, we're wanting to do three things to address it. We need to restore the energy in the system. So we need to get the body as a whole just more energized. The mitochondria working well. The mitochondria need to be able to produce energy. But then we also want to work on these, identify and then address any of these amplification signals. So what is amplifying the pain signal? What is keeping this central and peripheral sensitization sort of ongoing? And, you know, when you're stuck in a loop. And then finally, we need to work on how we down or down regulate or dampen pain signals. And that comes through a healthy brain. And that also comes through the ability to produce our own opioids um, naturally. So those are the final two pieces I'm just going to touch on very briefly. I won't go into huge amounts of detail here because to a certain degree, I did talk about brain health and brain function when I talked about neuroinflammation in the neuroinflammation episode. And just very briefly, to have a healthy brain, we need to sleep. We need to make sure that our blood sugar is balanced and it's getting the energy that it needs, whether that's adequate amounts of glucose or whether we need to go on a ketogenic diet in the short term to address brain health. The brain needs oxygen and blood flow. We need movement and exercise, which I've already talked about. And the brain also needs healthy amounts of stimulation and healthy amounts of fat in the diet and the absence of inflammation, the absence of inflammatory fats. So when we're looking at supporting low energy, low mood and chronic pain, we're looking at the brain and we're thinking, is the brain healthy? What does the brain need so that it can get what all the little things that it needs to function well? And then in addition to that, we want to think about natural sources of opioids. So to alleviate chronic pain, we want to dampen down the nociceptors, the pain receptors, and we want to increase our natural opioids. So the dampening down of the nociceptors, that's by taking away the amplifiers. And then we want to increase the natural opioids. We don't want medicinal opioids because medicinal opioids help to dampen pain, but they also lead to increased central sensitization. Therefore, in the long term, we need to take more and more medicinal opioids to have the same effect. But our natural endogenous opioids don't have that impact on increasing central sensitization. So things that can naturally increase our opioid production would be PETs, as a cat mom of two, I can verify that statement is true and correct. Sex, massage, exercise, which is why movement is so important. Laughter, yoga, you could do laughter yoga. Meditation can be really powerful. I would say spending time outside, doing things that you love, or if your health impacts how often you can get outside or how much you can do the things that you love. Even using visualization where you see yourself doing those things and you create those feelings in your body can be very powerful in terms of dampening down pain signals. So that is where I think I'll wrap up today. This has been quite a long episode. It's been quite a complex episode, but I hope it's given you a little bit more perspective in terms of what you can do to help yourself. And so in summary, just to say that if you are somebody who's struggling with this 
triad of low energy, chronic pain, mood disorders. We want to improve the health of the body as a whole so that the body has more energy. And that's basically what this whole podcast is dedicated towards. But then more specifically for pain, you can start to think about of all the different amplifiers that I mentioned today, you know, which ones do you feel are relevant to you? Which ones do you need to explore more? Which ones do you need to rule out? What does your brain need to be healthy? And is it getting those things? And what can you do to increase the natural production of opioids? I know sometimes when you're kind of stuck and not feeling well, it's it's really difficult to connect with feeling good. But that is something that we can train our bodies to do. And the more we start to connect with things we enjoy or visualize doing things we enjoy, we do strengthen those neural pathways over time. And that can make a significant impact on the nervous system, on our health as a whole and on pain more specifically. So I hope you have enjoyed this episode today. I'll be following up with a separate episode where I'll talk a little bit more about the nervous system and some somatic tools for you. But if you have enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on iTunes for me. I will be very, very grateful. Um, It helps more people find the podcast and it helps others get the help and support that they need. So wishing you a lovely day and see you in the next episode.